My name is Billy. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. Um, if you haven't met me, um, welcome. We are in a series. We're studying the book of Ephesians. We teach verse by verse through the Bible. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1. I want to welcome uh, our junior hires into the sanctuary today for the Bible teaching. So These are my people up there. And I'm going to ask you guys to pray for me. I'm super sick this morning. Like, I'm really sick. Haven't been this sick in a long time. And so we're praying that in my weakness, God would be strong. Today we are picking our back up in Ephesians chapter 1 in the series that we're in. The name of the sermon this morning is all about Jesus. Today we're just going to talk about Jesus. We've been looking through Paul's prayer uh, as he's been praying for the church in Ephesus. And today we see kind of the grand finale of this prayer. How everything found is found in Christ and everything is brought under the authority of Jesus. We're going to read this entire prayer, but we're really going to be drilling down on the last two verses. So Ephesians chapter 1, we'll start in verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, This is why... Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you. So I remember you in my prayers. Pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what's the hope of his calling and what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. Verse 20, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power, dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Here's our passage today, verse 22. And he subjected everything under his feet. Everything under Jesus' feet, he's saying. And he appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have demonstrated such a love for us that it is unmistakable. And it's not just a demonstration we can learn about. It's a demonstration that we can experience because you've empowered it with your living Holy Spirit. And we pray this morning as we open your word, Holy Spirit, that you would cause us to submit our hearts and our minds and our lives to your word. Pray, God, that you would use even me today in my fragile state, God, speak your word with truth, with conviction. God, help us as your children to grow in our identity as kingdom kids today. We say we love you, Lord, is our joy to submit to you as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I recently uh, spoke with someone who had returned from Kenya and had shared the gospel, told me about an experience he had where he shared the gospel with someone kind of at the front end of his trip <clears throat> with a Kenyan man, shared the love of God, the grace of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
share the need to believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, confess his sins. <coughs> and this Kenyan man made a profession of faith. Incredible. This Kenyan man was happy, overwhelmed with joy to hear about the good news of the salvation that was offered through Jesus. And so that night, the American guy, this Christian man, was, was, goes back to the host family, this Kenyan family that was housing him, and he's telling them, man, I can't believe this. It's incredible that I was able to have this exchange with this man and, and to see him come to faith. And the, the family lovingly asked this excited American man about the other things, the other gods that, that the man believed in. Did, did you ask him about those things? Did, did he just receive Christ as a part of the other gods that he believes in, or did he just receive Christ as God, as the God? And the American hadn't known to ask this question, and so the family lovingly uh, explained to the American that the man was probably happy to acknowledge Jesus as both God and Savior, but he probably simply added Jesus to a large group of other gods and, and other powers and other authorities in his life. Now, in our culture, in our American culture, even in our American church culture, I might argue, we can seem like this Kenyan man in some ways. People, in other words, might be willing to receive Jesus as divine and even as Savior, but Jesus is simply just included as one of the many gods or the many voices or the many spirits or the many sources of good advice or the many sources of wise counsel that we turn to in life. Certainly our American culture paints uh, some pretty inaccurate pictures of Jesus. We, we know that. We see that. But also the American church Christians in America can paint some pretty inaccurate pictures of Jesus as well. And it's these inaccurate pictures of Jesus that are painted by Christians, that are painted by the church, that our culture sees when it thinks about Jesus and it thinks about the church. And so our passage in Ephesians chapter 1 that we're studying right now, it's what the world needs to see, it's what the world needs to hear about Jesus. I believe it is what the church needs to see and the church needs to hear about Jesus. After all, Paul is praying for Christians in our text. Our, our culture, our church culture, mind you, needs a new, enlightened perspective on God and on life. That's what Paul's praying for. We need to see and know that God is both sovereign and king. We need to see and believe that our faith in God changes us. We need to see that God leads us in an empowered life. He doesn't just change us and we slowly drift back into who we once were. He changes us and he empowers us to walk in our new identities in Christ. And in this prayer found in Ephesians 1, we see Paul praying for Christians to have this new perspective, an enlightened perspective on God an enlightened perspective on themselves as children of God, where we find ourselves, where's, where's our place in all of this. And it's important for us to see because we often assume that our problems that we face in life are due to our circumstances. It's the people around me. It's the situation around me. It's my darn finances. It's, it's this, it's that. And, and, and we blame or, or we assume that our issues in life are due to life's circumstances. 
I think the Apostle Paul, as he's praying for the church, would argue otherwise. I, I think that, that he would probably argue that the problems we face in life, the gridlock we face in life, the hopelessness we face in life, or the fear and the insecurity that we face in life is not due to circumstances, it's due to our dim perspective. We don't have a full perspective. We need to be shown what we're not seeing. What we aren't seeing, what we're not getting, it needs to be shown to us. Paul is praying for God to enlighten hearts. What he's praying for is revelation. We need a revelation of what is real and what is true. And the big question in life, when we face confusion, when we face fear, when we face hardship, uh, the, quest, the big question when we wonder what the purpose of life is, as, as we all do, the big question is, where do I find revelation? Where do I find truth? What I know to be true. And the current answer to that dilemma, to this issue in our culture, is to look within. We're encouraged to discover the real you. Uh, many religions even focus on that, to, to look within. Uh, the church of self-realization is alive and well in Southern California. Uh, Eastern religions and meditation and New Age is alive and well in Ventura County. The Universalist Church is alive and well in the city of Ventura, encouraging people to choose any combination of gods or powers or revelation to cobble together as we discover the need within us for truth and reality. We sort of create our own reality, like those choose-your-own-adventure books. The growing prosperity gospel, which is growing and growing in this country, promises that, that if you could just muster the faith within you, that God will exchange that faith for tremendous blessings. Look within. We're encouraged to look within. That's how most religions function. Recently, uh, when I was on an airplane, I, I got a book because I wanted to learn about this specific uh, religion that these celebrities are into, and it just seems so whack. So I got this book. I'm on the airplane. I read the first 200 pages of it. Couldn't get any further. But the theology that I got in that book, like the way that they understand God and, and the way that they would put forth an understanding of God was simply this. And this is the only time actually the name of God was mentioned. It said, God helps them who help themselves. Now, who can tell me where that verse is found in the Bible? God helps them who helps themselves. Is that in the Old Testament? That's not in the Bible, is it? Benjamin Franklin wrote those words in his almanac in the 1700s. That's, that's not even a biblical idea. It's not even from the Bible. But see, God helps them who helps themselves makes perfect sense in our American cultural mindset, doesn't it? It, it, it dovetails right in with what we believe, this radical individualistic culture that we've been raised into. It says that it's good to go to religion, it's good to go, go to religion. But we're going to use religion to find answers within ourselves. That ultimately it's up to you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We want revelation, and so therefore we need to work hard. And maybe with God's help, we will discover this revelation within ourselves as we drive and we try and we achieve. Our culture is searching for revelation within our individual selves. And now, the Bible also reveals a tremendous need for each of us to experience revelation. 
For the Bible shows us clearly that true revelation, the revelation that we all long for, the revelation that we all need, only comes from outside of us, not from within. True revelation only comes from God. This is what Paul is praying for in our passage today, for revelation and perspective from God, that God would make us, would, would reveal within us the reality of who Jesus is, and therefore would reveal within us from outside, being brought in to enlighten the eyes of our heart, praying for a supernatural enlightenment, a supernatural revelation of who Jesus is. Because our identity as Christians, right, Christians, is that we are in Christ. And so you don't know Jesus, you don't know who you are. And so Paul says, man, enlighten the eyes of their heart. Show them Jesus. This is true wisdom and revelation. This is true relationship and power that's identified in Christ. This is true Christian identity that we can only get from God, from outside. And God has given us the full revelation of himself, the full revelation of his love through Jesus Christ. It is all about Jesus. And Paul finishes, uh, just in this last section we studied, by saying that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of revelation, didn't he? That, that the, we, we rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. God's Spirit is in us, Christian, and he reveals the truth to us. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, the, the end of verse 11, Paul makes this interesting statement. It's especially interesting in the Greek. He says that Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. What he's saying is Christ is everything. It's all about Jesus. He is all, and he's in all. And that truth affirms the utter sufficiency of Jesus for every spiritual issue in the life of the believer. Jesus is our everything. Jesus is necessary for salvation. Jesus is necessary for a spiritual life. Jesus is, is where we find our joy and our identity and our power and our hope. It is all about Jesus. But in our current culture and, and even church culture, it seems sometimes that the church, that, that Christians, people who profess to be Christians, aren't really ready or perhaps they're not willing to admit this, this, this only Jesus lifestyle. Because living our lives as if Jesus really is all and really is in all, as Paul says, it's very, very countercultural. It flies in the face of all earthly wisdom. It flies in the face of, of all reason, even, in our culture. It's radical. Our culture and the wisdom of our culture argues for self-reliance. Why would you rely on someone else? But at the same time, our culture wants us to choose to rely more on the government, right? Because the DMV does such a good job. Just, just pay, pay the government all your money. They'll take care of all your needs, right? Be self-reliant. Rely on the government. Rely on anything but Jesus. There are clear laws clear laws requiring any student in the public schools right now to only learn that humanity came from random, unguided, unintentional, unintelligent natural forces. It is illegal to speak the truth about the way we were created by a living, loving, intentional creator. You're either random nothingness that was spun from the universe, or it's illegal for you to open your mouth and share otherwise. It's, it's illegal. 
We face constant opposition to the truth about Jesus and the truth about who we are in Christ. It's even being legislated. And so, therefore, many Christians have a shallow relationship with the living Christ. And some of us aren't even aware of the tremendous resources that are available in him. Because we've grown so weak. We receive so little information from outside about who we are in Christ. A while back, I was asked by my wife to replace a dimmer switch in our dining room. That means it'd probably been broken for about 18 months. You know, the dimmer switch is what controls the amount of light that shines on our dining room table so we can have romantic dinners like we do. Thank you, Joe. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Because romantic dinners are something we do often in our little house with our five kids. <clears throat> and so I'm praying for God to protect me from accidental electrocution, you know. And as I'm putting the switch in, I start to see the switch as an analogy of, of the Christian life. Uh, we can have our switch turned on. We can, we can identify as Christian and believe that Jesus is Lord and, and, and that we're putting our faith and salvation in him. But we could have our dimmer switch at the lowest possible setting. Now, there's barely any current passing through the switch, and so there's nearly no light. And as this switch started to go, I started to identify the problems, and I'm like, I was thinking it was the bulbs, right? I'm blaming the bulbs. And so I'm like, I'm going to go get pure white bulbs, which I don't like. I like a softer light in the house, but I'm like, I can't see anything. I'm going to go get pure white bulbs. And I put them in there, and it doesn't improve. It got worse. And finally, it just, my wife's like, just replace the switch. It's obviously the switch, right? Bulbs are way easier to replace than the switch, so... But it seems like much of the church today has the dimmer switch set at the lowest possible setting. Like, many Christians are living powerless lives with no understanding of what power is available to them. We're holding back this powerful move and this powerful identity and this powerful work that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives because we don't know who we are. Because we don't know who Jesus is. And we get discouraged because we don't see within ourselves the ability to improve or the ability to change because we're looking within because that's what culture tells us to do. And so Paul prays for Christians to see and know and understand and live according to the greatness of the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is our passage. In verse 20, he says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, raising Jesus from the dead, the, the last enemy of man defeated by Jesus. You, you think you've been brought low in life by life's problems. Jesus not only has been there, not only is he hung naked on the cross after being tortured for hours and hours and then being provoked and, and insulted, hurled at him, hanging naked on the cross, having lost just more blood than you could possibly imagine. Jesus gave his life as God can only give his own life, offers his life, giving his life, surrendering his life as a living sacrifice, and is placed in a grave as a corpse, a lifeless, dead corpse. You have problems in your life, Jesus has been six feet below those problems. And then he defeats the lowest place. The, the, the lowest place man can go. He rises in victory to a place of honor in heaven where he is seated now. That is the Jesus that we are in. Church, we must see how great Jesus is. 
It says he's far above every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion, every title given. It's all about Jesus. We don't need to fear anything in life. There isn't any rule or authority that we fear. There isn't any dominion or name on earth or in the universe that is above Jesus. Everything that Jesus wants to do in you, Christian, everything Jesus wants to do for you and in you and through you cannot be stopped by any other power or authority because Jesus is the name above all names. And Jesus isn't just above It says he is far above all rulers. There's not like this struggle for authority. It's like it's done. Jesus said it's finished. He's far above Satan and his demons. Far above spiritual forces. Far above laws and lawmakers. Far above every name. It means that there's no force. There's no entity in the universe that can match the power of Jesus. There's no human There's no human authority that can even compete. And so when we're struggling in life, when we're struggling with our worldview, what does it mean? Who am I? Why do we run to men? Why do we run to women? Why do we run to other people whose power is suspect? Why wouldn't we run to Jesus, whose power is infinite, on our behalf? I recently had someone tell me that they wanted to pray, wanted me to pray for them, And they said, because I have a a direct pipeline to God. (laughs) Like, I'm like, all right. That's a sweet thought. But you know what? That's totally true. I I actually do have a direct pipeline to God. I do. And so do you. We all have the same direct pipeline to God. We're all saved by Jesus, filled by the Spirit, loved by our Father. There isn't a secret pipeline. Other times people want to meet with me to get help with the problem. Like, I have to meet with you. You're the pastor. I want to meet with you. They don't want to talk to someone else. They only want to talk to me. And listen, I'm just, spoiler alert, people are inevitably let down by me, okay? <laughs> You're going to be let down by me. It is impossible for me to unscramble the omelet of your life, okay? I'm not that insightful. But in my weakness, Jesus is strong. And I have to and always inevitably bring people into his counsel and bring people into his power, into his authority. The best service that we can render to people in need is to send them to the one who is head over everything. I don't know, but listen, I know someone who does know and he knows everything about you. Let's go to him. You might be looking for help to unfold an impossible scenario in your life. You might be wrestling with fear. You might be wrestling with anxiety. You you may be feeling drawn very thin in your marriage and have become hopeless even, perhaps. This morning, we need to run to the one who knows us and knows more about us than anyone. Listen, you need to run to Jesus, the name above all names. This morning, we need to place ourselves at his disposal. There isn't any human being that can offer the resources that Christ has. All we can do is bring you to him. Now, some of you guys are like cynically, you're like, okay, well, then what are you here for, Billy? What do you do, right? Isn't that what a pastor does? That's a fair question. Here's what we do. We direct you to Jesus. All I'm going to do is bring you to Jesus. That's why the staff and the leadership exists at a church, is to bring people to Jesus. That's why we preach and teach. I'll spend two, sometimes three dozen hours preparing to preach because I want you to come into the presence of Jesus and experience the reality of Jesus in your life. 
not to lead you to us, not to lead you to me, not to lead you to reality, but to lead you to Jesus. Jesus is everything. The greatest lesson I can teach is that you're not going to find what you need from any person. You're only going to find help and strength and peace and a future in Jesus Christ. He's the only place where you belong. Jesus' might. Listen, this is, this, is, this is huge. God just blew me away with this the other day. Jesus' might matches his majesty. All these crazy things Paul is talking about, Jesus, where he's seated, how he's seated, this authority, this name, all this might, his, all this majesty. His might majest, matches his majesty. He's king, and he rules everything. Jesus really does have authority. He's creator. He holds everything together. Jesus conquered sin on the cross. He conquers death by resurrecting himself from the grave. Real authority. Jesus is superior to every ruler, every authority, every being. Jesus is better and stronger and above all. And, and Paul says, now and forever. And so we go straight to Jesus. We cast our cares directly upon Jesus. Now, our, our passage today, um, Paul is communicating some just really sound theology. I, I think as Christians, we really need to pay attention to this passage I, I hope you're reading and studying and meditating uh, through the, the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as we're teaching because this is just solid, good theology for us as he prays for the church. He says Christ is all, that Christ is everything. And if we would just understand the greatness of his plan, the greatness of God's plan, and the greatness of his power, if we would just see that, Spending time in the Word, knowing that, listening, listening to this Word, the true Word. There's so many words in culture that we choose to listen to. There's so many words on Instagram that we, need, we feel like we have to catch ourselves up on. There's so many words out there that we submit ourselves to. There's one Word that is true. And it is the one Word that is the name above all other names. And we need to submit ourselves to Jesus. Jesus is better and stronger and above all names. If we would simply know the greatness of his person, if we would know the greatness of his power, we would experience the greatness of his presence, we would run to him in big things and in small. According to our passage in verse 23, it says Jesus is the fullness. He fills all. Jesus is it. Jesus is the fullness. He's the everything. He's the source of everything. Everything is from him. Everything is by him. Everything is for him. Uh, this last week, a, a good friend of mine took me to a conference, and we're sitting there, and uh, John MacArthur's being interviewed, and they ask him, they're like, hey, you know, you've been on, he's, he's been in the pulpit 50 years, preaching faithfully for 50 years. I'm like, wow, I need to listen to this guy for a minute. And so he's being interviewed, and the guy asks them, they're like, so you've been on Larry King. Don't you get a little nervous when you're on national television? You kind of don't know what they're going to ask. There's all these political pundits, and John McCarthy's so funny. He's like, you know, I never really thought about that. I don't really get nervous because there's really only two things that I'm going to communicate. I don't care what the question is. I'm going to talk about the, the sovereignty of God and the necessity of, of calling upon the name of Jesus for salvation and the sufficiency and authority of Scripture above everything else. He's like, it doesn't matter what the question is. I was like, Wow. What, what, a, what a really brilliant view of life. When all we care about is Jesus, 
When all we care about is that as the people would know Jesus and discover who they are in Christ, when all we care about is the sufficiency of Scripture, and we see the will of God and the love of God and the presence of God in the world around us, it makes life very simple. We live in Christ, for Christ, by Christ. We need to see this. We need to understand this as children of God. This is particularly important for us in our current Christian culture because if we're not very careful, Christian, if we're not very careful to clearly understand who Jesus is, and if we're not very clear to understand who we are in Jesus, what can happen is we can grow discontent, and then we start to search for something more. And because we're Christian, we don't necessarily search for something more outside Christianity. We make it sound super Christian-y, and we search for things inside Christianity. If we're not very careful, we might start to believe the idea that being in Christ maybe isn't sufficient. That being in Christ does not give us all that there is. And so we need to uh, search for something more in life. There are dozens of Christian books about this. See, some Christians are looking for more of Christ. Like there's a a gradual increase in our Christian experience after salvation. And, And so some Christians are on a quest to get more Jesus. Like, I need to seek more of the Holy Spirit. I need more power in my life. But see, we would only need to seek more of these things if Jesus somehow restricted the blessing that we each received when we were saved. As if the resources of Jesus Christ were sort of doled out and consumed like a prescription drug, one dose at a time. As if we have to pray a certain way for more of it. Or as if we have to somehow, in order to get more of God, we have to engage in a particular ritual or a routine. I'm telling you, I just spent the whole weekend with these young adults up here. They have the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead in them. The the, the full measure of the grace of God is alive and at work and leading them in the same way it does, you Christians who've been saved for 40 years. This hit me recently when someone told me, and I I know this woman, she meant really well by it, but she said, I search for every possible thing I can get because I want to get all of the Jesus that there is. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's no more of Jesus to get. There's in Christ, the Bible's really clear about it, you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. The biblical view, to have a right biblical theology on salvation, is, is that the Christian is granted everything in Christ. There's not like levels of Christian. There's no need to search for something more. In fact, I'd argue that searching for something more undermines the essence of salvation itself. When we search for more, we question what Jesus said when he declared from the cross with all authority about to offer his life for our sins. He declared, what did he say? It is finished. It's finished. It's not a gradual thing. It's it's a historical fact. God's already done it. As if there's something missing that must be sought after. If you are in Christ, you have all of him. You have been given all of God's love, all of the Father's approval, all power, all access, all everything. The Apostle Peter is an old man as his life started to sunset. You know, he's writing, he writes these incredible letters to churches that he loves. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, he encourages this church this way. He says in verse 3, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself 
by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Christian, you have everything you need. God has loved you very well. In Christ, you are in the one who is far above every ruler. You're in the one who's far above every authority. Far above every power, every dominion, now and forever. Everything is under his feet. Everything is subject to him. And furthermore, we're in the church, his, his, his bride, which is his body. Jesus chooses to identify himself with the church. And he does so with, with such tenacity, with such intentionality, that he says, it's like my body. Like, like God somehow renders himself in some ways, possibly even like incomplete, just in that way. He's like, you are my body. And when we gather together, we experience more Jesus in a way, in a sense. We are in the one who fills all things in every way, intimately connected to Christ as the body of Christ. And so Christian, hear today that the problems of life are not the result of circumstances. Our problems in our life are the result of losing perspective. Remember who Jesus is. Remember who you are in Christ. Man, we are the people the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 18, where he says this, he says, we all, talking to Christians, okay, if you're in Christ, you're included in this, we all, with unveiled faces, nothing separating ourselves from God, we all, with unveiled faces, we're looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and he, trip on this, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That is what every Christian ought to focus on. More Jesus, unveiled face, face to face with God, in the word, remembering, reminding, walking in the promises and the reality of God. What if we focused more on Jesus in our lives? What if each of us committed, I'm going to focus more on Jesus, I'm going to focus less on on psychological problems. I'm going to focus less on emotional issues. I'm going to focus less on the current political problems. I'm going to focus less on what other people are doing or what other people have done to me or, or, or the way other people have treated me. I'm going to focus less on health issues. And I'm going to focus more on Jesus. What if we gave less space in our life, in our mental life, in our spiritual life, in our heart life? What if we gave less space to the broken and dark and scary and unknown in life, and we gave more space to Jesus. Focusing less on our feelings of powerlessness and focusing more on Jesus who has all power and authority. Focusing less on our hurts and our brokenness and focusing more on his healing and his restoration. What, what if we focus less on, on our arguing and winning fights and more Spend more of our life, more of our time, more of our energy fixing our eyes on Jesus. I didn't count scientifically, but I estimate there's about 10 million books on christianbooks.com that can help you help yourself become a better Christian. But there's only one book that speaks the full truth about who you already are in Christ. There's one authority that's not afraid to say, you already are in Christ. You already are more than a conqueror. 
You already are a masterpiece, a poem written by God for the world to read. You already are empowered. You already are enlightened. You already are full of the Holy Spirit. Now walk. There's one book that will tell you the full truth. Save your money and read the one book. You don't need more Jesus. You already have him. What we need to do, brothers and sisters, what our Christian culture needs to do is we need to take our eyes off of other things and fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can see Jesus and experience Jesus and walk in Jesus. So the Apostle Paul is praying that that would supernaturally happen in the church. Let's just look at Jesus. Paul is saying that we are filled with him. What an incredible thought. We are filled with his fullness, it says in the Greek. Like, we are filled with his fullness. Like, what does that even mean? We are desperate. We should live lives desperate for the Holy Spirit to help us get a grip on the greatness of Jesus, on the greatness of his plan, on the greatness of his person, on the greatness of his power. This is what's going to change the way that you live. Jesus is going to change the way that you live. Jesus has to, because nothing supersedes Jesus. There's no greater power. No one can ever change anything that God is planning to do in your life, because no one has greater power over Jesus. No one can love you more. No one can ever do more. All names are impotent compared to the name of Jesus. You're secure. You have a future because of Jesus. And Paul says that Jesus is in us, that he's in us as head over the church, that he dwells within us. Do you realize that you have within you, Christian, the fullness of Christ dwelling within you? God has chosen this, this let this blow your little mind right now. I was just like, oh, this week. God has chosen to radiate himself through you. God has chosen you, not because you're good, but because he is awesome. God has chosen to radiate himself through you. He's not just in you for you. He's in you for his glory so that he can shine his light through you. He's in you because he is seeking to save the lost and he's choosing to radiate his life through you. You see, the beautiful invitation into mission flows from this place of intimacy, of being in Christ, of living in Christ of setting our identities in Christ. We just become the mission of God in the world as Christ dwells within us. And his light not only enlightens our hearts so that we can understand, but it shines through us so that the world can see and understand and know. Christian, the kindest thing you can do is submit yourself to the Holy Spirit and beg God to enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you can see and you can radiate the love of God because Christ has made his dwelling place in you. This is God's great plan. To save you and to radiate through you. And God energizes this plan. It's not just the plan he starts, right? It's not just some crummy thing like I would do. He actually gives it energy. And it's an energy that perpetuates and intentionally continues the plan. He gives us his Holy Spirit, energizing us by putting his spirit in us. God has begun working his plan in us, Christian, and listen, God is faithful. He's not like me. I, I, I've started so many good... Th- you won't believe the good ideas I've had. You won't believe the good plans I've had. How many have I finished? I uh, don't even want to talk about that. But listen, God's not like me. God is faithful. 
God has begun working his plan within us, and he is faithful to bring it to fulfillment. God has initiated the plan. God has empowered the plan. God has authority to work out this plan. And God is faithful to complete the plan. In verse 23, Paul says that the church is Jesus' body, the fullness of Jesus. Christian, there is real power in you. There is real purpose in you. There is real hope in you. Because Christ is in you. You you offer hope to people just by being in Christ and allowing Christ to radiate through you. There's real identity in you. You don't have to search for an identity. You don't have to go online and put fake pictures of yourself and fake pictures of that one day when your kid was clean. You don't have to like create this false identity to create so people will think something of. You have been given a full and complete and powerful and purposeful eternal identity in Jesus Christ. He dwells in you. So how do we live this out? How are we supposed to posture ourselves in life? Well, simply we look at Jesus. We pay attention to Jesus. In the 1920s, this beautiful hymn was written. I choose to believe she was a little old lady. I actually have no idea how old she was. But I love that hymn. These words where she, she writes, We turn our eyes upon Jesus. Man, our lives should be lived facing 180 degrees from the culture of the world around us. We should be looking at Jesus, not at culture. When we have questions like, well, what is the right thing to do? What is just? What is fair? We don't look at culture, right? That's going to change. Ten minutes later, you're going to get a different answer. We look to Jesus, the unchanging one. Our identity is in Jesus. What's right is in Jesus. What's fair? What's just? Someone's confused about their identity. You don't go to culture and pull culture. You go to Jesus, the one who created us. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. And just like that old hymn says, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim, don't they? As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, his light radiates more obviously in us. As we we turn our eyes upon Jesus, his light radiates more obviously through us. We are a people who have been set apart from the world. We've been set apart not just from the world. We're not just supposed to be like weirdos that live in a bunker. We're set apart to Christ. We are God's own possession. We are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. Church, this is our reality That's where we got the name of this church. Jesus is our reality. Jesus is reality. I love, I mean, I love everything about camp. Last weekend was so rad. Watching God move and God work, watching these guys worship and the high schoolers worship is so powerful and so beautiful. But even in the small ways, we get out of this 45-foot-long bus that we had wrapped that says Jesus is reality all huge on the side. I'm so proud to get out of that bus because the world needs to see and know that Jesus is reality. You don't hear that anywhere. You don't see that anywhere. That's this radical, countercultural idea. Christian, that is your identity, is that Jesus is your reality. Jesus is our reality. And when Jesus is our reality, he changes everything. He changes everything because he has authority over everything. I'm going to wrap this up by reading a Christmas passage. Isaiah chapter 9. It's not a Christmas passage. It's a 
prophecy, the messianic prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Prophet Isaiah speaks the words of God. He says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. People are all worried about what's happening in the government right now. What's happening in the world? What's going to happen with America? If you don't vote this, then America... Listen, it doesn't say anything about America. It says that the government is resting on Jesus' shoulders. Many governments have risen. Many governments have fallen. But Jesus' government will not perish because no one supersedes his government. This is Jesus' government. We're Jesus' people. The government will rest on his shoulders. Jesus isn't losing right now politically. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Man, that is good to read in these days, isn't it? He will rule with fairness. He will rule with justice. From the throne of his ancestors, David, and for all eternity. And how do we have faith in this? How, how, how do we know this is going to come to pass? It says, The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. What he's saying is God has doubled down on humanity. He's like, I'm after my own. Even at the expense of his own son. He's doubled down. Today, brothers and sisters, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let's run to Jesus. We have some real issues, some real drama represented in this room. I know. I'm, I'm like, I live, I am drama. <laughs> I understand. I get it. But man, I, when, I, when I face drama in my life, I know I just need more Jesus. And not, it's not the circumstances of life that need to change. It's, it's my identity, my heart. What am I looking at? What am I listening? What am I choosing to believe is real? Brothers and sisters, I beg you, turn your eyes to Jesus today. In light of what you're going through, let Jesus navigate your course. Sit with Jesus. Go to the one who is our reality, the one who is all things and who is in all things. And I promise you this, you will find Jesus in the lowest place where you find yourself today. He's right there with you. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus as we worship him this morning. Father God, we... Again, just praise you and thank you for your word. We pray, God, that these words that were spoken, God, the words that are from you, that we would sit in the truth of your word, that we would sit under the counsel of your word, not my words, but your word, God. That we would be a people who turn our eyes and turn our lives and our affections and our hearts and our families and our income and our property and our goals in life. We turn the fullness of who we are upon Jesus this morning. God, open the eyes of our heart. Enlighten the eyes of our heart this morning that we might see Jesus that we might enjoy him, and that we might just really s submit ourselves, surrender ourselves to Christ, who is head over the church. We want to be led by Christ and ministered to by Christ. 
Jesus, you promised that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth and would show us the future this morning. We pray, God, that through the study of your word, that you would speak truth into our lives and that you would lead us into the future, into today and tomorrow and this week as children of God. In Jesus' name, amen.